So the, the filibustering begin. I rise today to begin to filibuster. I will speak until I can no longer speak. I will speak as long as it takes. I'm prepared to stand on this floor and talk about the need for this body to come together for frankly as long as I can because I know that we can come together on this issue. You can call what I'm doing today whatever you want. You can call it a filibuster. You can call it a very long speech. I'm not here to set any great records or to, to make a spectacle. I am simply here today to take as long as I can to explain to the American people the fact that we have got to do a lot better. Now let me just enumerate some of the reasons. We're engaged in a filibuster, a way to divert attention from what we're doing today, to obstruct, and that's what's going on today. Hello and welcome to Filibustering History, a podcast series where we discuss what historians do with their lives. I am Rob Denning, lead faculty for the history program at Southern New Hampshire University's College of Online and Continuing Education. Today we're shaking things up a bit. James Fennessy, the Associate Dean of Faculty for History at SNHU, and I are talking to Dan Peters, the Research and Facilities Manager for the Manchester Historic Association. In a first, for us at least, all three of us are in the same room for this conversation at the uh, Association's Research Center. Normally, these things only happen through the magic of Skype and the internet, but for this episode, we got to stare at each other awkwardly while talking about Dan's academic and professional background, the Manchester Historic Association itself, and the benefits of studying local history. What is your name and what do you do? My name is Daniel Peters. I am a, the Research and Facilities Manager here at the Manchester Historic Association. I basically uh, do a lot of different things because uh, the organization I work for is a small institution, so there's only four full-timers. Um, my responsibilities include everything from working in the library to handling uh, artifacts to um, managing the property. Uh, we own a couple properties um, and managing the gift shop and all the stuff in our museum. So I have a pretty broad range of responsibilities. But of course, the favorite part is actually working in the library and with the original <laughs> artifacts. Right. Yeah. Daniel, could you tell us a little bit about your background? So, um, you know, how you developed an interest in history, uh, your education, and then, you know, we can segue into how you moved into this role. Okay. Yeah. So I um, actually probably started when I was much younger. My dad actually worked for the airlines and I was homeschooled. So we could pretty much fly for nothing um, anywhere around the country. So when my father was the history teacher. We'd actually go to battlefields for talking about Antietam or Gettysburg or you know, Manassas and stuff like that. So we actually go to different historic places or historic buildings, uh, D.C. To, and to visit the Smithsonian and that kind of stuff. Um, I kind of started it, and I think later on when I was in the service, I um, got sent over to Afghanistan, and one of the keystone things that really left a big impression on me is that we got stationed to one of the last castles Alexander the Great built before he died in Afghanistan. Hmm. And it was kind of like the homecoming because we the base was right next to it. So like when the mission was almost over, you're coming home, you can see the castle, that means you're almost there. That is awesome. So that kind of really pushed me into like really appreciating like not only the military history, but the history in general of like uh, really being excited about uh, what actually surrounds me on a daily basis. Um, which kind of leads me into why I chose the path of my education I did. I started off 
getting my undergrad at SNU actually here on campus in Manchester. So when I was done with that, I decided that I wanted to do something focused on local history. And well, SNU happened to have the public history program, which ended up being exactly what I needed. So. Did you do that as part of the GI Bill after, or had you gone to um, university first and then? No, them? no, I had, well, I did have some college credits because I took some before I left the, the service and then um, some when I was in, but I, I had to pay to the GI Bill and actually the between the GI Bill and the you know, Yellow Ribbon Program through, that Snubo offers, I ended up paying, I think I only paid for one semester, my master's because of the way it worked out, so, because I had enough credits going in to, to really... Uh, even Help better. Yeah. yeah. Right on. <laughs> yeah. So we're sitting in the um, Manchester Historic Association's, this is the reading room in the research center, correct? Right. So yep. can you tell us a little bit about about this place? So this is uh, what, this building was originally built for us by uh, a local uh, um, businessman. Um, his name is uh, Frank Carpenter. He's a very important figure in the city. He built several of the major public institutions in in, um, in the city, like the city library and the post office and stuff like that. So in 1931, he actually had this building built for us and gave it to us. So this is kind of where our organization has been ever since. It's kind of our home, and we've been here for a long time. Before we opened the Milliard Museum, this is where the museum was, and that was up until even the 2000s. So this is it's just even in fairly recent history that we've grown and, and to multiple locations. Um, this building currently is now just our archive. So um, people come here and do research and um, kind of everything related to Manchester. So that's kind of our mission is to collect, preserve, and share. So it's always important to be aware of the share part, right? You can't yeah. just be hoarders. <laughs> right. uh, so that's kind of the, the purpose of this building now. It's been remodeled with that, with that in mind. So. Could you talk a bit about um, actually your transition into this role from SNU's amazing public history program? So how does how does uh, plug? Yeah, exactly. How does the uh, how did that program and um, you know your capstone and all of the work that you did prepare you for this role? And then how how did you get an in into this role? What was that, what did that look like? Yeah, I actually got this job because I started off in community college. Um, working, um, taking a history class, and I had a professor that encouraged me to take an internship in, in, a, in a, one, of the, one of the areas. So um, they liked me so much after the internship, they hired me on part-time. Um, but when I transferred to the SNU, I started getting more interested in history, and so that built on uh, them giving me more responsibilities here. And uh, as the need arised, they actually uh, kept adding on to it and allowing me to do small exhibits here and there. And then uh, when I was finishing up my master's program, um, instead of just writing a paper, I chose to do the exhibit um, part instead and for my capstone, and uh, they actually allowed me to put my exhibit on display, which they were so impressed with what I was able to pull out of their collection that they uh, <laughs> they, they hired me full time after that. So That's fantastic! So note to students: your history degrees and the things that you produce are practical. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and can actually, yeah. get you a job. Yeah. So make sure you, uh, no, no, don't be afraid to share it, yeah. What was the uh, topic of the exhibit? So my exhibit was focused on uh, Manchester during the First World War. Um, it, uh, it looked at uh, different organizations in the community, uh, what they were doing um, to either support or kind of cope with what was going on in the national scheme of things. Um, 
Manchester is kind of an interesting place in that time period because that's the, the height of uh, the Amscape Manufacturing Company, which is the, the main employer here in town. So there's 17,000 people that were employed for just that one company um, here in town. And um, they were very encouraging of people to go into the service and supportive of that. They did fundraisers and food drives and stuff like that to help support the troops. And it's interesting to kind of look at it through objects in, in photographs in that kind of aspect. I, it was, I didn't do a lot of text because then you have to get into interpretation a lot more, but I, I like to, when I do exhibits, do a lot of the object type stuff, and we've got tons of that kind of stuff in our collection um, for some reason. We have a lot on that time period, which is not a, a period that a lot of a lot of historians look at. You know, usually it's usually World War II because we were much more involved in that. But um, it just uh, it was an interesting way of looking at the community and how they they pulled together or or were were doing things to to cope with what was going on in the world around them. You, you mentioned that you you weren't using too many paper documents because of interpretation and all of that. But well, was, it's still using photos and all that I imagine you're still you're still crafting a story and so how, right. how does that kind of play into so so I still wrote a paper for it mm-hmm. um, I still had to use you know the historic method of proving what I was saying sure. so there was a paper that went along with the the background of it but uh, when I was referring to the uh, the text part I basically just, just tried to describe what objects were and setting up the exhibit to allow people to kind of really understand what was going on based on all the research I had done, all the documents I've read, all the accounts that I read from the time. We've got um, diaries from soldiers that went and served in the 103rd, which is, which was uh, part of the uh, Yankee Division, uh, which is the New England Regiment that uh, it was heavily involved in a lot of the fighting um, over over in uh, Europe at that time period. So mm-hmm. um, a lot of that division, even though it was under main officer's command, um, was from New Hampshire, and in fact, pretty much the entire headquarters company was from Manchester. So there was a lot of New Hampshire representative in that in that unit that we talk about a lot in the in that history. So it's interesting to see how much an impact in New Hampshire itself has, not only New Hampshire but Manchester, but um, on those type of type of events because you don't really think of it as a major state and a major player in that aspect. But a lot of times, they've done. A lot of the grunt work, you know, even looking back into the Civil War and other wars, and you know, the Philippine War and all that stuff, they've they've supplied a lot of important leaders and mm-hmm. and uh, and had an impact on the world in a way that I guess that some people don't even think about. So it's what's kind of interesting about doing this type of exhibits is uh, putting basic history out there about them because I've I found in my experience so far that a lot of people don't want to read a lot of text, and that's part of the other reason I don't do it is because. I'm not going to put the effort in. I want somebody to care. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's still important to make sure that you are documenting, you know what you're saying, because there's always going to be somebody who knows more about the subject than you are, and it's going to come through and be like, right, actually got that wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's not what you wanted. Yeah. (laughs) Were you always, say, a a local history nerd, or was it as you started to study history and see all of these connections that Manchester and New Hampshire had to larger history that really focused you in on local history? Or was it sort of branching out? You know, you were you were interested in the local history of where you came from, and then you started to see all of these connections. And I mean, they're in a very nice way. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. I'm a, my family's not from, from New England, actually. Both okay. my, my parents uh, are both from both sides are from the South. My dad's family's from Louisiana. My, my mom's family's from Texas. We moved up here because of when my dad was working for airlines. They 
closed the station he was working at down in Austin, Texas, and I moved up here. So I've been up here since I was probably like like twelve ish. I think it, when we moved around that time period, nineteen ninety eight. So it was uh, I think it was around twelve years old. Okay. At that point. I think it really what it started is is having a fascination with history in general, especially because of my military influence and you know. But my father was in the Navy and my grandfather was in the Air Force, so we come from a long line of family military tradition. That inspired more of my interest of like military history. And then I think when I was overseas, I kind of realized then how surrounded really, really we really are with, with history. And we walk by statues in parks that are dedicated to people that we never think twice about every day. And that's what really kind of drew my interest in, in the local history. Um, just just realizing that we're surrounded by it on a daily basis. So you were working part-time, and then you did the capstone project for SNHU, and then they brought you in full-time. Yep. So what does a day in your life look like here at the association? Uh, depends on which day you're talking about. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> so because I have so many different things we're working on, that, that uh, it, each day is a little different, which is kind of what I like about it in a lot of ways. Um, I could be doing anything, like, for example, if I'm here uh, on a Wednesday or Saturday, I'm running the research center, um, which is this building that we're in currently. I could be helping, you know, somebody doing research for a book or somebody who's interested in their geology or looking at their history of their property um, or people from different countries want to see, like, some of the artifacts we have, uh, the old maps we have, because we've got maps of New Hampshire uh, dating back to the um, uh, the 18th century, so we've got quite a collection of that. Um, um, usually people travel up here to, um, mostly for genealogy, because they had relatives that either worked in the mills, we've got all their original papers, that kind of stuff, so mm. that, that's, that could be fun. And then the rest of the week, I'm my I'm over at my office at the museum, which um, basically you could be doing anything from getting tours to, you know, make sure that all the lights are up and running in the museum, make sure that it's clean and it looks good and that kind of stuff, um, or ordering new stuff for the gift shop or doing research on that, trying to figure out what kind of new item can we carry, carry so people actually want to want to buy some something from us. So. It's a, it's a wide range of different responsibilities, and that's kind of what I like about it. So you wear many hats. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Men of many, many hats, yes. So you were showing us some of the textile samples that I'm, I can't remember. Were they from the late 19th century? Yes. Uh, both the ones I showed you were both from the, the mid to late 19th century. Okay, so, yeah. and I mean, the colors and the way that they're preserved are absolutely amazing. So two-part question. What is, I won't say the most interesting artifact that you've come across, but what are some of the most interesting artifacts that you've come across in your role? And who are some of the most interesting people or, or um, interactions that you've had with people coming to uh, to study local history? Well, the second part is a tough question. I'll start <laughs> with the first one. <laughs> yeah, we've got all kinds of interesting artifacts in our collection and, and stuff that, you know, you don't, probably 40, 50 years ago, you wouldn't have thought twice about how pressures that might end up being. I think probably a good example of that is um, we just did a flag exhibit not, not too long ago at this past this past fall and it was centered around a flag that Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt's wife actually hand-stitched which is on display at the museum right now that we didn't know we had in our collection until we got damaged. It's one of those horror stories that you'd never want to ha hear happen in like in, in an archive uh, type job is that 
come into work one day and find that this artifact you didn't know you had that was one of a kind it was damaged. Ugh. So we uh, we actually paid to have it restored. We raised a bunch of money to to help save the flag and stuff like that. So it was a flag that she had actually handmade for a group called the Sons of Veterans, which is the Sons of the Union Veterans from the Civil War. They had their own club, and they actually wrote to her in 1903 and asked her for something to raffle off to um, to f- raise money for their organization at one of their fairs. Uh, when they got it and they realized that she hand-stitched it, they, they wrote her back and said, well, can we please keep this? <laughs> <laughs> so when they closed up, apparently they gave that flag to us, and we never really fully, you know, realized what it was I think until until recently so um, it's got a hand-stitched portrait of George Washington in the middle of it so it's it's only got 40 45 uh, stars on the flag because it was done in the early yeah 20th century so wow so it's on display if if you get a chance to this weekend you should go check it out so yeah I hopefully (laughs) (laughs) that'd be awesome yeah it's part of our permit display now (laughs) yeah I bet (laughs) So the second part of that question was the characters that you <laughs> characters come across that come in this across. role. Um, <laughs> yeah, guilty by yeah. not naming names, but um, we we do have some pretty interesting people come in. Um, I've I've had people come in asking me about secret bunkers bunkers that were built underneath the under the the city, which they were referring to like the the old canal system that was they built for the for the textile manufacturing companies that were here. Um, even there's even some sections of the city where they couldn't really do anything about a brook or you know, something like that, so they just basically built a tunnel over it. <laughs> but this guy was convinced that it was some secret plot to, that for the elite to, you know, <laughs> hide in in case there's a nuclear war during the Cold War. And I was like, okay, sure. There was a incident uh, in the 70s where there was an anthrax outbreak uh, at one of the manufacturing companies here. Uh, it's actually the only naturally occurring. Uh, incidents of, uh, of anthrax outbreak in the United States uh, where this company was doing textile type stuff had imported um, some wool from Europe that had uh, anthrax spores in it mm-hmm. and that got invested in the in the in the building and they tried for 10 years to, to purify the building and there was like six people that got sick and you know I think a couple people died so I've had people come in asking about that thinking it's a big cover-up and <laughs> That you know, it was in purpose. That there was some secret government plan to develop the art. Like, there's no documented proof of that. But and don't mean to like belittle people's suspicions. But sometimes the people come in and asking pretty <laughs> random questions like that, and it's like, you really think that's true? I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, that's how research questions start. And yeah. then you do the research, and hopefully you can dispel the crazies, the craziness. Right. If yeah. It's uh, not true. Yeah. Yeah, or hopefully the research leads that person into a more reasonable answer. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, different <laughs> yeah. question or something. Yeah, based on everything I've seen for documentation on an incident, I I think it was not on purpose. I don't think they really understood what they were doing until it was too late. So, mm. yeah. Um, I mean, you're talking the 1960s where they didn't really understand some of the the insulation they were using was bad for you. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've been working here for a few years, and so what? Where, where do you see this institution going over the next few years? Um, I feel like we're becoming more popular, especially in the state. So I think that's important uh, for our organization is being recognized as a, as a solid institution and a good uh, good asset for people to to trust to come in and, and look at some 
some pretty uh, one-of-a-kind artifacts that related to the city's history. Uh, and that same aspect, uh, we're, we're working really hard on improving our education piece of it. So we're, we're trying really hard to make sure that um, all the school kids in the area get a chance to come in and see the museum. Uh, it's one thing that a lot of companies in the area like to donate to is, um, you know, giving us grants for, because um, in New Hampshire, in fourth, uh, fourth grade, you study New Hampshire history. So I always try to encourage um, the public schools and private schools to come in and, and do that by um, using that grant money to, to say, hey, we'll pay for the buses, we'll, we'll you know, pay for the tours, and all you got to do is get the kids here, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Um, we're working on that, and then uh, we're trying to to really improve our footprint in the not only for New Hampshire but for for New England of being an important institution. So I think we're growing and, and moving to, towards that direction. Yes. That was going to be uh, my next question because being you know coming from a history background, it's not always it's not always a um, a discipline where there's a lot of money. So <laughs> how does one uh, fund and maintain a historic association? Yeah, especially the one like ours, which we're uh, a completely nonprofit uh, 5013C uh, organization. So we're not supported by any government institution or uh, whatnot. So we're completely dependent on people giving us uh, donations uh, or being members. Our membership is important to us too. So our business partnership is also another big thing that w- way we um, we really are able to maintain ourselves. Um, we are fortunate enough to be old enough. That we have some endowments from some people, but um, there's only so much you can draw on those a year, and really you don't want to be drawing too much on those because that's your, you know, something happens. That's your that's your backup money. So we try we work really hard to make sure that we offer a program that people are willing to come and visit and, and do. We do walking tours and stuff like that too of the different sites around the city, and uh, we work with uh, the New Hampshire Heritage Trail, uh, which is a as a basically an alliance with all the museums in the, the state of New Hampshire to help promote each other. Um, we do exchange membership programs with some of the different uh, museums in the area. We're also involved in uh, the New England um, Museum Association, um, trying to build our relationship with not just New Hampshire museums, but with other museums and institutions like ours. They have museums and archives. Sometimes you have one or the other, not both. So, so there's a is that too? Is that you're, we've got both sides of those that we have to try to build relationships with. I actually also sit on the uh, New Hampshire Archive Board, New Hampshire Archive Group Board, which is an organization that uh, uh, exists for the purpose of uh, encouraging some of the smaller uh, historical societies in, in New Hampshire um, how to, to do better practices with their collections, preserving their history, and helping them, because a lot of them are volunteer-based, um, so we run work, uh, workshops twice a year with the purpose of teaching them more about the proper techniques of uh, how to do displays, and um, that's actually what our next uh, next workshop is going to be on is on exhibiting. And then uh, I think last year we did uh, uh, disaster planning in the fall. So trying to trying to help smaller institutions have the means to to really do what they can to be better about growing and maintaining their collections so yeah that's very cool the one of the public history courses talks about disaster management and all of yeah that. yeah trying, it does trying yeah. to blank on which course it was but yeah it's interesting it was the uh, were... archive class yeah okay yeah. yeah yeah one of the things that always occurs me when I come into a place like this is that it always amazes me how rarely students take advantage of places like this yeah uh, and so it's, it's great to, I'm 
tickled <laughs> that you <laughs> that you use that, that use this place for your capstone and all that because it's always difficult for undergrad and graduate students when they're coming with a capstone pro- project a lot of them always want to do some big national thing like you know the civil war or something yeah when in reality and then the problem is always getting them access to sources that haven't been used a million times because you know the, the 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 civil war has a whole bunch of sources online but everybody uses those and so you always want students to go to some sort of physical archive to find the stuff that's not digitized and these are the types of places that students really need to be going and they need to focus I, I always encourage students to focus on pick something local that you can drive to that you can get all this because i mean you've got so many things here that would be that i mean you've got a million capstone projects in the making here so yeah. it's always amazing to come into these places and realize just how many types of sources you have and the volume of sources that you have um because just <laughs> like you were showing us down below before you've got all those just fire alarm records from multiple years and so you've got so many so many sources of information that i think students tend to not think about and i think that's a shame well, and especially for people in this area, I mean, we're right mm-hmm. across the street from the public library. They also right. have a, a room that specializes in New Hampshire history. Uh, so you can literally come here one day and then walk across the street and go to the library and then, then you have a whole different set of archive that you can look through. And that's still true. I think there's a, there's a misconception, and, and especially with students, um, a lot of my classmates when I was doing my undergrad were always wanting to do the broad scheme things mm-hmm. and I had one guy uh, my undergrad that did something on Lois and Clark which is great but you know who hasn't done something on Lois and Clark <laughs> exactly when in your own library in each of your towns they, they have all these information that nobody looks at and it's you know it's probably just going to deteriorate unless somebody writes about it right and that's the kind of thing that you know people need to understand is that we already know what happened nationally we need to preserve the the side stories that's kind of the whole point of public history in a lot of ways right so yeah I think that's something that we definitely can do better at teaching students is that history isn't just national politics or something like national you know political movements or social movements or anything like that history is also local think local yeah think local I mean you've you mentioned that you've got a lot of sources going back to the 18th century but even but you also have some Native Americans artifacts that go back 10,000 years. Yeah. And so there's a lot of history no matter where you are. And so you can get to know your local area and <laughs> go to your local resources like this. But it's also fascinating because if you, I mean, students struggle all the time trying to come up with a very specific topic, right? They're like, oh, yeah. I'm interested in this. And it's just like World War II, but what are you interested in? And if you go to the archive, like, who would ever think to do a project on... Um, you know, if you're looking like the fire alarm records downstairs, if you just sit down and you have no idea what you want to do a project on, but you're looking around in an archive and something looks interesting to you and you open it up, it can just spark that inspiration. You'd be like, oh, well, maybe I should do a project on this. I have the records right here, the actual mm-hmm. physical records. Well, the whole reason I started with my capstone is because I started looking at all the city parks. And there's a, there's a park here in Manchester that's named Sweeney Park, which after looking into it, it was named for... For uh, Henry Sweeney, who was the first uh, Manchester man to be killed in the First World War, mm. so there's also Sweeney Post, which is the American Legion post here in town. So why the heck did anybody decide to name those something a huge piece of landmark and their you know veterans post about after this guy? Well, it turns out he was a popular kid in the area, and he was well known and well liked, and. Um, there was a huge parade that went downtown when they brought his body back and like well documented and stuff like that. It's like if you're interested in 
uh, World War II. I mean, those guys are some of those guys are still around. You could go and actually get some oral history from them before it's too late. You know, um, Korea would be another one. I mean, those are the guys are going to be the next up of line to be to be mm-hmm. going if that's the kind of type of military history you're in. Um, I find that even just being here, that talking to people who've either lived in the city for a long time and and whatnot, it's, it's just fascinating. Um, um, I remember when I was actually uh, uh, in Boy Scouts, uh, one of my, um, my my mentors in Boy Scouts was actually, uh, he was telling me one time about when the circus would come to town, you know, before the Verizon Center was there, or it's now this new arena, I should correct myself. Um, <laughs> yeah, get it right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> especially with you guys sitting here. Um, yeah, so he was telling me that uh, that uh, there used to be a parking lot with the Zaylers, um, and that's where the, the circus would come and perform. And when he was a little boy, and this is the 1930s, one of the, the hand, animal handlers just handed him an elephant and told him to walk it up the street. What? <laughs> yeah. So he's got this fond memory of like walking an elephant up on you know, one of the major streets here in town <laughs> to take it to the circus. And he's like, what kind of story can you get that from now these, nowadays? Yeah. I mean, no, the circus doesn't exist anymore. No, you know. Now we have this new arena, so instead <laughs> of a circus coming through, you have like monster trucks or Janet Jackson. Yeah, Janet Jackson's not going to come down. WWE coming in a couple yeah. weeks, you know. Right. Janet Jackson will ask you to hold her hand and walk her down the street. No, you know? no. <laughs> so it, this is this has been a really cool experience, and um, if we have a few minutes, yeah, it'd be cool to see some of the other stuff. But sure. um, do you do you have something you'd like to recommend? Yeah, actually, uh, we we have a, a display on right now. It's called Manchester's Masters, which is uh, focuses on six different artists from Manchester that either painted, you know, important people from New Hampshire, or um, some of them are even held positions in the federal government and stuff like that, or that they were famous for for one reason or another. They their style of art, uh, style of painting, or, or whatnot. So that's on display now. And then the next exhibit is actually going to be um, a larger version of my master's thesis based around World War One, um, and we're going to be pulling out all kinds of cool artifacts. And we've got a trench gun in our collection and all kinds of stuff like that. So, very cool. Um, yeah. So those are my two plugs. Okay. Good. <laughs> James, do you have anything for us? Sure. I, I mean, I would just recommend the Manchester Historic Association in general if you happen to make it to town. There are so many great artifacts here and people. Obviously, who yeah. are extremely knowledgeable and can uh, tell you about local history and show you around. If you can't make it to Manchester, then any, you know, I mean, not every local historic association is going to be this caliber and with such amazing people. But uh, I do suggest, uh, you know, visiting that because it really can spark some inspiration. Always go local. Yeah. I'm just going to recommend the, the the cool thing that Daniel found for me. As everybody knows on here, I've recommended, I think I recommended just Ulysses S. Grant in one episode here, <laughs> but um, they have a, a fabric swath, I guess you would call it? Yeah, a swatch book, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, where the one of the local fabric companies created for the Ulysses S. Grant, was it the campaign of, must the have campaign been, what, when he ran for president, yeah. Okay, so a campaign uh, from 1868, and uh, we'll post a picture of me looking at it thoughtfully on the on the Twitter page. All right, well, Daniel, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you. Thanks a lot. And thank you all for joining us today. If you have any questions or comments on this podcast or suggestions for future episodes, please send me an email at snhuhistory at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at filibusterhist. For James Fennessy and Daniel Peters, I'm Rob Denning. Have a good day. Daniel, could you tell us a little bit about of your, um, little bit, all right. <laughs>
it's weird being able to see everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Usually I'm able to just stare at a wall or something. Yeah, I just have like my headset. Um, so 